0: This is the Banana Data Podcast, a podcast hosted by IQ. I'm Trevaney. And I'm Chris. And in our bi-weekly episodes, we'll discuss the good, the great, and the ugly of AI. If you're craving even more, check out our 15-minute Banana Bites discussions on IQ's LinkedIn and Twitter every Wednesday at 2 p.m. EST. In this episode, we're talking about the trade-offs of giving our data out and what it means to be a conscious consumer in an AI-curated world. So Chris, I don't know about you, but I tend to scroll Instagram a little mindlessly these days. Do we follow each other? Uh, Not yet. I'm sure we (laughs) will soon. And I've noticed that like, I have this interesting experience where things that happen in my life seem to then get reflected in the ads that are served to me. So I, for instance, got a puppy three months ago. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. And almost immediately, Instagram started changing its ads. I was getting so many dog related ads, which was a welcome relief from the various other ads I was getting. But it was, it was shocking to me how quickly this algorithm picked up on that. And then at the same time, I was shocked by how quickly I bought into that. There were multiple things I've seen on an Instagram ad in the past few months. And I was like, okay, I got to get this for my dog because it's going to be really useful or it's going to be really cute.
1: Well, that probably made some things easier in terms of, you know, like, hey, oh, we just got a new dog. I need a new dog bed. I need a, you know, a new hairbrush or whatever for for grooming. You can get a lot of benefit out of that in terms of like the personalization. I know for myself, I've got a little bit going with sometimes making some impulse buys on some of the ads I see and feeling very comfortable about like, hey, you know, I'm buying into this and would have never done this before without seeing these ads.
0: Right. So with this personalized AI, you get a lot of fun benefits, all these great new ads for things that I didn't know I probably don't need, but still want. But then there are trade-offs because now someone somewhere has a whole store of data on me, knows a lot about me, and maybe things that I don't even know about me yet. So there's these trade-offs with personalized AI. And what I wanted to talk about today was the idea of how comfortable are we with some of these trade-offs. And is it worth giving up some data about yourself so that you can explore new things? And at what point does that exploration turn into exploitation?
1: This balance between explore versus exploit.
0: Definitely at at a grand
1: scheme, exploring is helpful for finding things that you didn't know that you wanted. That you didn't know that you liked, you know, in terms of personal preferences, not just by buying products and ads and stuff like that. And exploiting is certainly helpful for when you know what you like, you know, what works for you and you want to kind of, as it says, exploit that and make sure that you're kind of uh, getting the treasure every single time. I think the balance there is something that's very important and that balance changes depending on the context. You know, for example, if I'm buying a product where I know the greater good is going to inform the benefits. So for example, I subscribe to a skincare line and I know that this active ingredient works for 90% of people, that's great. We're gonna exploit that uh, for me and give personalized feedback on whether or not it's working for me and maybe recalibrate in situations like that, I'm okay with giving up some personal information in terms of my reaction, my skin reaction, or you know my location so that we know what the temperature is like and so on and so forth, because I'm getting the benefit of nice skincare, but there's a certain degree where giving up that personal information, I might not be willing to do that.
0: Well, and that's one of those things too, is a lot of people are willing to give up information without thinking through maybe... Who's collecting this data? How are they potentially repackaging and selling it to other people? And am I okay with my data being given out in certain ways? There's downstream effects. Just totally downstream effects, right? So like something that's a little controversial is the 23andMe DNA testing, right? To figure out where you're from or where your family's DNA has come from. And it came out pretty recently that 23andMe has been selling the DNA, anonymized, of course, to police departments so that they can you know, bolster out their database of DNA for crimes. Now, whether or not you're okay with that, that has to be your choice. And I don't think 23andMe gives you this option to say, please don't sell my data to the police or please don't sell my data to some other company who's going to use it for other testing purposes.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really important thing to think about is also this uh, anonymous data for the 23andMe. For example, some people might say, hey, you know what? It's anonymous. It's not tied back to me. I don't really care. But on the other end of the spectrum, you might have somebody who's like, hey, that's my data. Okay, fine. It's not connected directly to me, but that is going in a database somewhere that's going to be sold and used for various different things. I'm not comfortable with that. And there's ambiguity there.
0: And the fact that like, My DNA is probably going to be a close match for my sister's DNA and a pretty good match for my mom's DNA. So, if for whatever reason someone finds my DNA in a database, they're also able then to link me to two other people who might not have consented to being linked via that. And so, the same kind of principle happens in the data space where you see a lot of products that are built based on social networks, a lot of political polling groups will use social networks to then make best guesses about who they should target next. So even if I go onto website XYZ and I say, hey, yeah, you can have my data. I want this like wine recommendation you're giving me. Now, if I've connected my Facebook account to that or something, they also have access to all my friends. And now those friends are part of these people's database without having consented for that. And so there's sort of a The trade-off is not only just for me, right? It's also for what am I allowing this sort of product or this app or whatever access into? And what are the implications for people who haven't said, yes, I want want to be a part of this?
1: So there's benefits and detractions to this explore versus exploit, giving up your data to get an output there. And this appears a lot with your credit card data or even when you go to the supermarket and you swipe your frequent user card all that information is tracked. All your past purchases are tracked. And then maybe now when I open up my internet browser, I get recommendations for uh, or ads for different products that I pretty much need or think that I need, but I never would have seen un- unless this data was used to-, to inform my behavior and my past purchases. The benefit there is that I get served an ad for something that I could really use and maybe make that purchase and and obviously, you know, enjoy that purchase and so on and so forth. But the detraction is that I I never really would have purchased that product unless I saw that ad. So is it shaping my behavior? Is it shaping downstream effects that I've purchased product A and now I need product B to go along with product A and maybe product C to go along with product A and B? It can have long-term effects.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think that's where that that line between, oh, this is super helpful and efficient and this is creepy, gets blurry. That's for me the trade-off of, okay, yeah, actually I do need a new dog bowl for, for my dog. But also like, it's weird that whatever you did behind the scenes was so good that you were able to suss that out. Or like, I don't like the fact that you know that I've been shopping at this pet store and are now using that data to say, "Hey, looks like you know you probably want a new dog bed soon because your dog's probably grown out after the current one you had." And this kind of goes back to something we we have discussed on the show before: the whole thing with Target sending a mailer for baby products to a sixteen-year-old girl who didn't even know she was pregnant yet. That trade-off of like, "Oh, yes, good, you're helping me prepare or like get ready or be ahead of the curve of what I need," against you know things about me that I don't yet know. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I think there are people out there who are okay with that, right? I think there are people out there who say, fine, whatever, I get it. And thank you, this is helpful for me. There's a convenience factor. And that convenience factor, you know, I think that convenience factor is not something we should discount, especially as data scientists, because like everything we're doing is about making some sort of underlying business line better or more efficient or whatever it might be. But I do worry that that convenience factor becomes like a crutch. And then we let these ads become so personalized and relevant to us that we lose sight of what's being personalized for me versus what am I going along with? Because, oh, this ad showed me these really cool pants and that's what everyone's wearing. So I guess I'm wearing them now versus, oh, I don't actually like these. So maybe there's
1: a convenience factor in terms of like our purchases and things that we buy and then sharing of our data to inform that kind of activity. But what about like the explore versus exploit when it comes to opinions or maybe what people think and feel or tweet out? And now it's time for that part of the show where we discuss complex data science topics in simple terms. So Trevaney, can you describe
0: the Internet of Things in English, please? So the Internet of Things, often called IoT, is basically a system of interrelated computing devices, which basically means different devices that are connected to a shared network, whether that's something internal or an external network like Wi-Fi, so that we can actually allow those various objects to interact with one another. So think about something like, blinds that are controlled by a remote. Well, if you set up that remote to be connected to your Alexa or something, you can now use the Internet of Things to send a command to Alexa, close the blinds, which will then send that command over to the blinds, close. And you've used the Internet of Things. You've used this sort of interconnected computing network to actually execute on something. And so we're seeing a lot of Internet of Things coming up You know, not only in things like Alexa and all that, but also real time analytics in machine learning, in commodity sensors and other embedded systems. And so it's an interesting use case for creating new sorts of real time analytics, real time suggestions and recommendations because of the connectivity between these various things. This is the case where I feel most exploited, or I think we're most at risk for exploitation versus exploration. In opinion, and I'm thinking a lot of social media and social media feeds where, okay, I followed 10 people and now I'm getting recommendations for, oh, you follow these people. You should follow also these people or a lot of the people you follow liked this tweet. And so now you're seeing this tweet. And even though those opinions aren't in my direct line of, you know, of networks that I wanted to see now because of this recommendation based on what you're seeing. We think you'd like this kind of stuff. Now I'm seeing opinions that I might not have seen earlier and are reinforcing what I already want to believe.
1: Yeah. And those kind of social media networks, as an example here, can get very tightly knit such that when you think about like, maybe you're not directly connected with so-and-so, and and maybe there are like three people removed from you, but three people removed from you is still on the outskirts of this very tightly connected dense network that now the quote-unquote exploitation in terms of trying to serve you something new is still, again, reinforcing everything that already is inherent to your behavior. So now you're not, seeing anything brand new, whether it's a tweet or Facebook or whatever, still getting the like to say, hey, Trevaney liked this. That was a good exploitation. But, you, you know, you're kind of defeating the purpose of finding something new and reinforcing these either opinions or kind of content that you already like. And whether that's a cat video or something political, it uh, could have different implications.
0: Oh, yeah. And I think I think we've seen some of that and discussed it, right, between YouTube recommendations, um, TikTok recommendations, those kinds of things where you end up going down sort of a rabbit hole of the things that you are already looking for. And, you know, that can be helpful. But sometimes if I'm being honest, I go into like YouTube or Twitter incognito because I just want to see what's out there. Right. I don't even want to like be told here's what you need to know. And I think Part of that is because I'm so deeply involved in this world, and I like am hyper aware of the ways that my data is being used and the way that I want it to be used against me, so to speak. But not everybody's going to do that. Not everybody's going to do that. That's what I was. And not say. everybody's aware. Yeah, I think that's why I sort of brought up this entire conversation because there are a lot of data footprints that we leave all over. And sometimes it's possible to take control of it, right? And things like the GDPR, which we talked a lot about last time, or other other sort of mechanisms can help you take that back. But long-term, I think it's about us as humans also being aware that this thing is shaping me. Like I bought this useless toy for my dog because I saw a cute dog playing with it on an ad in front of me. And just being able to own up to that. The concept of actively
1: not doing something is as powerful as actively doing something. On the flip side, if you know YouTube is going to be serving me these videos, that's going to get me siloed. If I don't open up incognito, I'm actively buying into this. And at least that's a step in the direction of knowing that you're being exploited for your footprint.
0: Yeah, or that like you're willing to be exploited. Like again, this is that trade-off of, well, today I really just want to be recommended all the cat videos that I, I can get my hands on. And being willing to say, okay, yeah, fine. Use my data and give me what I want or give me what I think I want. But also having that sort of wherewithal to say, eh, okay, I feel like I'm seeing a lot of the same old things I need to get, I need to get away and I need to be, I want to take some of my footprint back and be able to explore what I want to explore. And now it's time for a new segment highlighting AI pioneers and innovators. Today's pioneer is Meredith Whittaker. Meredith Whitaker a distinguished research scientist at New York University and co-founder and co-director of the AI Now Institute. She's worked extensively on issues of data validation and privacy while promoting activism within Silicon Valley and tackling sexual harassment, gender equality, and racism in tech.
1: That's all we've got today in the world of banana data. We'll be back with another podcast in two weeks, but subscribe to the Banana Data Newsletter to read these articles and more like them. And we've got links for all the articles we discussed today in the show notes below. Until next time.